But when we last spoke, we were in the middle of breaking news of coordinated terrorist attacks in the city of light, my favorite city, Paris, France. We brought to you every 90 seconds breaking news. And now 72 hours later, we have different numbers as far as death toll and injured, more information on the terrorist, on who claimed to take responsibility for the attack. And now, in this and the next hour, we are going to talk about what we know at this point in time. This afternoon, we have three guests joining us in this first hour, all experts in their fields. The first of which, a friend of the show who I have a lot of respect and admiration for, I always learn a lot when he's on, is Bob Doherty. He's the Intelligence and Counterintelligence Director at Counterterrorism Watch, Inc. They're a U.S. defense contracting firm specializing in intelligence, counterterrorism, and special ops training. He worked for the past 25 years as an operations officer for the CIA. He has deep operational experience in the U.S., Europe, Central America, South America, and the Middle East. More than a pleasure to have back with us on the program, Bob Doherty from Counterterrorism Watch, Inc. Bob, thank you for joining us. I know you're quite busy today. Thank you for taking a few minutes with us this afternoon. It's good to talk to you again, Leslie. You know, first of all, I heard um, a couple of days ago, I was channel surfing, and I think it was on CNN, uh, somebody who was very much like you in his counterterrorism expert, um, who said that the worst thing he felt they could do was just bomb the crap out of the um, ISIS targets in uh, Raqqa, uh, in that section of Syria where ISIS has that caliphate, yet we have seen France do just that. He felt that attacks against ISIS at this point, whether by France uh, from the air or on the ground and the U.S. and the rest of the allies in the Western world, will just bring forth even more attacks like we saw on Friday. Do you agree with that? I don't necessarily agree with that. And first off of all, I'd like to say, you know, we stand with the people of France and Paris, and our hearts and minds are with them like they were with us after 9-11. So... But I don't necessarily agree with that. I think, look, to, to defeat this problem or to try to try to uh, confront this problem, this war that we're in, it's going to be a multifaceted approach. And certainly, one of those facets has to be surgical strikes, airstrike combined with special operations strikes, like we did in Iraq in 2006. The predecessor organization to ISIS was. Uh, Abu Musab's al-Zarqawi's al- al-Qaeda in Iraq. And the way we defeated al-Qaeda in Iraq and Zarqawi was a high frequency of special operations that were guided by good human tactical intelligence, and we just kept this relentless pressure on these guys, taking out their leadership, taking out their infrastructure, taking out their supplies, until we basically neutralized the entire group. So that is one of the facets that we have to do against the Islamic State is selective surgical strikes, either from the air and by special operations forces, with good human intelligence, so we're striking the right people. And then, of course, there's a lot of other facets, the diplomacy, the getting Arab governments to raise the standard of living of their people, getting the Europeans to try to integrate Muslim immigrants into their population more, screening refugee flows. It's a huge problem, Leslie, and there's not one answer. And there may not be a 100% clear-cut answer. There are a lot of things I want to ask you. So first of all, you would agree with the president that troops on the ground are not necessary to fight ISIS? And if so, do you also agree this will be a long battle or war, as France and, in a sense, we, the world, are saying we are at war with terrorism and certainly with specifically ISIS? No, I, I agree that we do not have – we do cannot put regular ground troops on the ground. What we need is a massive – 
the increase in the frequency of our airstrikes and coupled with special operations strikes launched from outside ISIS territory. We have the capability to do that. that so that they become the hunted and not the hunters. They become the prey and not the people that are preying on innocents. That's what worked in 2006 in Iraq, and that's what will work now. Now, there's also, this is a generational thing. You're right, Leslie. I call this, I just did a class, unfortunately, on the threat of ISIS and radicalization the day before the Paris attacks. And what I talked about was the spillover from the Syrian civil war. And what I meant by that, and I made an analogy to the Afghan jihad and bin Laden, is after the Soviet army left Afghanistan in 1989, all the non-Afghan Arabs and Muslims, including bin Laden, all went back to their home countries. And they were armed with what I call the Brotherhood of Combat. They were fueled by this extremist Sunni Salafi ideology. And then they also had the phone numbers of everyone else that they had fought with. Bin Laden simply made a yellow pages out of that network of guys that had come back home. And that was how al-Qaeda was born. The same thing's going to happen in the Syrian civil war. This war will end sooner or later. Over half the fighters there are not from the area. They will come trickling back home. And not all of them, but certainly a small percentage of them, will then try and launch attacks back into the home countries that they came from. And we're going to face this threat all over again. Wow. Um, do you feel that the timing, obviously the training, uh, you know, I think you probably right off the bat said this is ISIS even before they claimed responsibility. These were just these people were too well trained, orchestrated, matching suicide paraphernalia, that type of thing. The, that morning, earlier that morning at midnight, technically the night before, um, allegedly we have taken out Jihadi John. Some view him as number one, some number two of ISIS. Um, you know, some in ISIS in Syria and just say ISIS across the board. Do you think that that day was chosen because of that uh, specific attack on uh, allegedly taking the life of Jihadi John? No, I don't think so at all. If it had been one lone attacker in Paris and kind of one of these lone offender spur-of-the-moment type attacks, we might be able to make that connection. This was extremely well-planned and coordinated. Surveillance was done on these targets well before the attack date. This was probably at least months in the planning. So I don't think that date has any significance to any strikes that were done a few days before that. Uh, the the other um, the other uh, situation is that um, France, some would say, and this is no um, smack in the face to that great nation and the people that we love, a city that is my favorite and certainly a strong ally. But there are those that say that the terrorists in that theater knew they had a certain period of time in which to achieve mass carnage, and they knew they weren't coming out. So they really didn't care how many people they killed. They knew they weren't going to get caught. They weren't coming out alive. But they also knew the prepare time or uh, or, or response time would not be – it would enable them to take many lives. Was France not as prepared as it could have been or will be in the future? And is the United States more prepared for something like we saw take place in Paris Friday? Yeah, no, look, everyone kind of makes fun of the French sometimes militarily. Truth be told, in the counterterrorism battle, they are some of the toughest, most disciplined people, and they have been leading this counterterrorism battle well before 9-11 in terms of the Europeans. 
So they've been hardcore against extremism. These guys probably tested maybe the response time in those certain areas, these extremists, so they knew how much time they had. They did a probe or they did a test run, like some of the 9-11 guys did at airports. That may have happened, so they knew how much time they had. But when you're dealing with the psychology of a suicide bomber, you're exactly right. If they know they're going to die, they don't care when the police are going to respond and in what force. They're going to take as many people as they can in as, as much time as they have. When we talk about the Syrian refugees, and you talked about spillover in the future from the Syrian civil war, which will eventually end and over half will be from other countries that go home to their homelands. Let's talk about now until that time. We did have allegedly one of the terrorists, according to witnesses that survived in that theater, say this is for Syria. Um, is this going to make it difficult? We're already seeing a governor here in the United States, uh, a governor of Alabama, saying, I'm not going to take any of these refugees. Um, is this a problem? One of these terrorists allegedly was Syrian. Uh, certainly the vast majority of the people who are fleeing people just like this uh, are not people like this. But even with rigorous background checks, et cetera, uh, people like this can slip through the cracks. As we saw, this guy came in through Greece, I believe. Yeah, that's one of the reports now. We, we have to wait to see. Hey, look, my personal opinion, you cannot prevent, nor should we prevent, legitimate refugees, men, women, and children, who are really fleeing for their lives and they have nothing back in their home countries. We need to have, you know, a haven for those people. But at the same time, we can't just let everybody in 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 vast numbers. We can if we want, and we have the resources, and the Western democracies have the resources, to vet and validate and screen these people very intensively. And that's what should be done. Will the extremist groups slip people in those refugee streams? Sure they will. But if you completely shut down the refugee streams, the extremists are still going to be able to get people into countries. We've seen that happen time and time again. So I don't. I don't so so what? But what if people say, especially out there, you're hearing a lot of the you know, Republicans, especially people running for president here. Uh, Donald Trump is saying, "I would bomb the blank out of ISIS." Again, you know, not not uh, necess- talking out of his blank. Uh, it, 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 do don't we risk the United States, Germany, especially with the number they're going to be taking, and others in Europe, um, a higher number of these people coming through, or no? Because that's where they would be expected to come through, and like you say, they're they're gonna they're gonna come whether we're looking or they're gonna come most likely in places we're not looking. No, again, it's a multifaceted. We cannot bomb indiscriminately. What that does is that adds fuel to the fire and creates more of these extremists. But we can surgically strike with good human intelligence and take out leadership and infrastructure and weapons and ammunition. That's what we do well. We own the night. And again, I keep going back to that. It worked in Iraq in 2006. We have a recent model we can go back to and have it work again. But that's just part of the equation. We also have to do the diplomatic and the humanitarian side and the changings of attitude and have more moderate Muslims step up and condemn this, which is finally starting to happen. So there's, there's lots, there's a broad spectrum of responses that need to be taken by a broad variety of actors in this situation. We appreciate you being with us as always. Um, is he staying with us or he has to go? Uh, um, we're done with him, right? Because I don't mean it like that. <laughs> uh, well, Bob Doherty's very busy, as you can imagine, today. Intelligence Counterintelligence Director at Counterterrorism Watch, Inc. Uh, be sure uh, to check him out and uh, be sure to follow him uh, all of the places 
that you can. Twitter, Counterterrorism Watch, at CT Watch Inc. Website, ctwatch.us. Check it out. Um, Bob has worked uh, with uh, Tupac's Amaru Revolutionary Movement, the Japanese Red Army, the PLO, uh, various Sunni extremist groups not work with, but counterterrorism uh, work on these groups. Uh, offshoots of Al-Qaeda, also Al-Qaeda, Hezbollah, the, the list goes on. He is an expert on foreign terrorist groups. Check out his site. You'll learn more. We'll have him back on the show again. We'll take a quick break. Back to our second guest right after this. in this first hour of the show um, out of the Council of American Islamic uh, Relations CARES Washington Executive Director joining us Arsalan Bukhari uh, motivated by the growing prejudice against Muslims Bukhari started as a volunteer with CARE with a resolve to establish a center for professional Muslim activism in the state of Washington and also helped launch a new era for CARES Seattle office. CARE is America's largest Muslim civil liberties and advocacy organization. More than a pleasure to have with us Executive Director of Washington's CARE uh, outpost uh, in the uh, the Northwest, Arsalan Bukhari. Arsalan, good afternoon. Thank you for joining us. Good afternoon. Thank you. Um, first of all, you are a Muslim American. Uh, there are, is a growing number of Muslim Americans, and certainly a growing number of Muslims worldwide is the fastest growing religion in the world. Uh, billions. Um, do you and others in your community, Arsalan, when you hear something like this Friday, do you, do you fear going to work, fear leaving the house, fear the retaliation, not just here, but certainly in Europe and even more specifically in France or in a city like Paris, not just now, but even into the future? Well, you know, the first thought that comes to my mind and, and the minds of Muslims across the country and, and the world, I imagine, uh, is just the, the sense of pain and, and the sense of shock when anything like this happens. I mean, my heart goes out and, and prayers go out to the families of the victims of this attack. Um, so that's really the first you know, thought that comes to anyone's mind. Uh, but unfortunately, yes, the second thing that often people think about are the... Um, uh, is the backlash. You know, we wonder about what children will face when they go to school this morning on a Monday morning, and we wonder about how moms, um, you know, out grocery shopping uh, at the end of the day will be treated when they're at the checkout stand. And unfortunately, we're seeing a number of attacks on women uh, who wear the headscarf and so they stand out, uh, and on, you know, bullying, bullying of children who are, appear Muslim or who are Muslims. And, and this has happened uh, just uh, since Friday. Just since Friday, we've gotten reports of, of more than a dozen um, attacks on mosques and uh, bullying uh, events uh, targeting children or people who are harassed. So uh, it has happened, and we have gotten reports. But we also have to wonder about others who have not reported to our, us. Um, so you have to consider many more who didn't know where to go when, it, when something like this happened to them. And I think what people need to know is that American Muslims are part and parcel of our society. Uh, what people should know is that they're more than... Uh, 10,000 American Muslims serving in the U.S. Armed Forces honorably. Um, you know, they're giving back every day as nurses, as public school teachers, and others. And we have to stay united when these things happen. We can't let um, the, the voices of division divide us across, you know, religious, racial, ethnic lines. We've got to remember we're all Americans, and we're stronger together. 
you know, speaking of, I just, even if you just Google Muslims speaking out, you know, we've seen it, we saw it in New York, we saw it in, in Paris, we saw it in London, Philadelphia, uh, the list goes on. And also there is uh, on Twitter, not in my name, Muslims speaking out against Paris, uh, uh, the attacks in Paris conducted in the name of Islam. As a matter of fact, it is a Twitter hashtag, I am a Muslim and I condemn the Paris attacks in order to show solidarity with France and also to show that Islam is a religion of peace. When, when, when people say Islam is a religion of peace, right now you know there are those people shaking their heads, rolling their eyes, or saying BS. And, and um, you know, I, I understand anger. I understand for some reason the need to blame. We as humans need that. Americans seem to need it more. Well, what I don't understand is, is blaming an entire religion of people when, for example, rape is committed majority by men. I don't think every man worldwide is a rapist. Um, uh, disproportionate to our population, uh, there are some crimes being committed by whether it be the Latino population, African-American population. And certainly we saw in World War II uh, millions of people, Jews especially, killed at the hands of Germans, not all Germans, we're anti-Semites, not all Germans. We're Nazis, not all Germans responsible for the Holocaust, not all whites responsible for slavery, uh, you know, not all men for the oppression of women uh, in the past and even current uh, day. Um, are you guys just the easy scapegoat or are you guys the, the black Mexican, Irish or Jew of the moment? Uh, you know, it's hard to say, but I think, I think there's just a, a gap in education about who American Muslims are. What we've found is that um, the more likely people, well, the more people know, get to know their American Muslim neighbors, uh, whether it's at school, um, you know, a classmate who's Muslim or a neighbor who's Muslim, the more likely they are to understand uh, their lives and contributions, their hopes and dreams. So I think that's really the gap we have to fill is to help people understand that their neighbors, um, their school teachers, their nurses, their doctors. Um, are, are Muslims serving them and living right next door to them? Well, hold that thought, Arsalam. I'll let you finish that thought, and I do want to talk about this because they say, at least in France, this could be part of the problem, which is the lack of assimilation, which some say is France's own fault. Oh, we're going to be back with Arsalan Bukhari, CARES, Washington Executive Director, right after this. Don't go away. Speaking with Arsalan Bakari Cares uh, from uh, Washington, his ex- their executive director. Arsalan, thank you for holding. Welcome back. Please finish uh, your thoughts on that, and let's talk about some other uh, issues uh, regarding uh, the Muslim community, not just here but abroad uh, since these attacks, not just on Friday in Paris, but attacks that have happened uh, since 9-11. Yes, so I think the, the main point here is just that people um, – for people to get to know each other, getting to know their Muslim neighbors, um, their coworkers, their doctors, their nurses um, who are Muslims, and get to know, know their stories. And what we find is that as people get to know their Muslim neighbors and coworkers um, and classmates, they get to understand the lives, the contributions, the hopes and dreams of these fellow Americans, um, and in France's case, you know, uh, fellow France residents. Right now we are hearing that people that are coming from Syria, Syrian nationals that are coming back to France or people that are coming to France from Syria will be placed under house arrest. Do you think this is extreme or do you think this is necessary? And I say that because I would imagine most of those nationals are Muslim. Well, I think that is fairly extreme. I think that's um, you know, racial profiling and ethnic profiling at its, at its worst. Um, and I think that sort of practice is not 
uh, it doesn't work. Law enforcement officials have said over and over again uh, that profiling simply does not work. So it's not simply a matter of civil rights. It's a matter of um, public safety. Uh, you can't simply focus on a group and think you're safe. In fact, it exposes you to more danger from those that you're um, ignoring while focusing on this one group of people. Uh, speaking of, there are those that say that the Muslim community in France especially needs to assimilate. Yet I have been there to this area that they're talking about. It's, it's, I don't want to say ghetto, but it is an area of town where if you're Muslim and you come into France, you're provided, you know, you, know, you get a visa, you're you know, okay to come in and live there as an immigrant. It's sort of like where they put you, housing-wise. Um, London has stopped that. They used to have people like near Edgware Road and other places, um, especially the Arab community, and now they spread them out throughout the city because you know they do believe in the integration and assimilation. Do you think it's essential that the Muslim community um, in France assimilate, or, or do you think this doesn't matter? Because what we're hearing is one of the masterminds was Belgian, originally from Morocco. He's in Syria. Um, uh, the family of uh, one of the other terrorists who is Belgian, uh, you know, they interviewed uh, one of the brothers of two of the guys, one who's still at large and one who detonated his belt, and, and they're in utter shock, this family. They had, they had no idea that their family allegedly was involved in such uh, dealings. Um, so your your take on the assimilation that people keep talking about, especially with Muslims in France. Yeah, you know, I think um, Muslims in France face tremendous challenges, uh, as do uh, Jewish French persons as well. I think we've seen uh, news stories of uh, discrimination facing uh, French Muslims as well as French Jews, um, and hate crimes facing uh, French Jews and French Muslims. So I think that's sort of um, that's a challenge that I think the nation of France has to address. Um, and I think that, you know when you're when you're marginalizing a community and putting them in certain places, um, it doesn't necessarily assimilate them in the society. I think the American Muslim community is sort of the um, can be used as a case study. It's, it's a community that's um, well integrated. Uh, that is um, doing fairly well in America, uh, is part, uh, you know, pursuing the American dream. Um, that's because of the freedoms um, that American law and the Constitution grants all Americans. And I think there's some lessons that can be learned um, from the American uh, story uh, and can be used by France. One thing I also want to mention, I think there's a lot of focus on, uh, you know, Muslims in, w- in the wake of this attack. Uh, the big picture is really important to keep in mind. According to Europol, um, which keeps a list of uh, terror attacks, on EU member states. Over the last um, about seven to eight years since Europol has been keeping these statistics, they've found that between 97 to 100 percent of terror attacks on EU, uh, EU member states' soils have been by non-Muslims. So almost 100 percent to nearly 100 percent over the last eight years have been by non-Muslim persons. But that's not the perception, right? Although that is the reality. Uh, I, yeah. I, I agree with you. The number's not only that here in the United States as well. You know, somebody somebody uh, was talking um, earlier today from the Muslim community, and I caught the tail end of it, so I don't know who that was, and it was on a local L.A. station. And he basically said that ISIS is hoping for the retaliation against the Muslim community, especially young um, Muslim males, because then they're more ripe for the picking for recruitment purposes. Would you agree with that? Well, so one thing, again, we've, uh, again, back to research, uh, according to the Pew Research Survey back in 2011, it found that American Muslims, at least, uh, American Muslim youth, showed no signs of alienation or uh, what some people call radicalization. No signs. So it's, it's, a, it's a community that's, you know, working hard to achieve the American dream, just like other communities are. Um, so there should be no reason to have suspicion of American Muslim youth. Um, they're working hard, going to school, um, pursuing the American dream. But you're right. I think when you, when you make certain people feel marginalized, 
Um, and many youth are in a place in life where they're wondering about their place in society. Um, you know, we, we all remember being teenagers, um, and life was tough as is. And when you make, when you cause more hurdles, um, you know, it, it can make people feel um, unsettled. Uh, but again, there's no reason to suspect uh, American Muslim youth, specifically uh, studies after studies, show that American Muslim youth are hardworking, um, have lower than average crime uh, rates, um, and you know, people that we should work to um, help rather than suspect of things. Uh, uh, very quickly, last minute before our break, there are those, especially on the right, who would say, why don't Muslims speak out against this? Why don't Muslims try to stop this? Do we need more military involvement from the Muslim world or trying to stop the funding of these organizations? And how much louder can CARE and other organizations here in Worldwide speak when you look online as to the condemnation over and over and over by countries, leaders, and groups such as CARE? Well, if you, if you Google uh, American Muslims or Muslims condemn violence, you'll find thousands of hits. So there's certainly no shortage of American Muslim leaders and others condemning violence um, and upho- upholding the rule of law. I think you, that's what you'll find when you look online. You'll find that thousands of condemnations have been issued and calls for following the Constitution, the rule of law, um, issued by leaders and everyday people in the Muslim community. Um, and that's all I have to say to that. All you have to do to find condemnations is Google it. You'll find thousands of hits, thousands of statements that have been issued uh, in response to uh, crimes against civilians. Okay, uh, but, um, okay, thank you, and we are out of time. We'll have you on again, I'm sure, in the uh, future. Arsalan, thank you uh, for joining us. Arsalan, as I mentioned, is Executive Director of CARE, <clears throat> excuse me, out of uh, Washington State, Arsalan Bukhari. Uh, by the way, CARE has in the United States, along with other Muslim co- uh, countries, leaders, and organizations here and throughout the world condemned these attacks. The website for CARE is CARE.com, C-A-I-R. Um, you can uh, follow Arsalan on Twitter at Arsalan Bukhari. That's A-R-S-A-L-A-N underscore B-U-K-H-A-R-I. And follow CARE nationally at C-A-I-R national. When we come back, our third guest in this hour, Michael Shore, a political correspondent for Al Jazeera America, will be with us. Don't go away. back. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome, welcome back. Third guest in this hour will be joining us momentarily, Michael Shore. Michael's a political correspondent for Al Jazeera America. They are the U.S. cable news channel. They cover domestic and international news, and formerly Michael was the host of The War Room on Current TV. Uh, we have response from the 18 presidential candidates to the Paris attacks, and joining us now, like I said, is Michael Shore, political correspondent for Al Jazeera America. Michael, thank you. Uh, good to have you on the program once again. Good afternoon. How are you, 
Good, Michael. Um, Let's talk about the response to these attacks by the presidential candidates. Um, Does this come down along the lines politically that we thought left and right, which is left of we're in solidarity uh, with France before we break it down? And, uh, you know, we want want to help them. And and then on the right, let's kill all Muslims. This is about Islam. Right. Well, I do say, listen, I think that um, it's so you're, you're close, you're warm. I don't think you're right there. I think that a little bit, of, you know, everybody came together and said we're in solidarity. Everybody said how awful they felt. There wasn't anyone who, there wasn't a uh, you had it coming uh, sentence that came out of these candidates. What did happen, though, is that the party line came out. It's a presidential race, and you had a debate the very next night after the bombing, uh, Democratic debate, so you had Republicans trying to stake out their ground on it, saying that it was the, you know, the flawed policies of, of Obama on this and, and not dealing properly with Syria, etc. that dealt with it. So it was both defending themselves ahead of a debate where they were going to get slammed and uh, coming into it with a little bit of, uh, of their own fodder. And it's continued today as they've done, as governors, Republican governors exclusively, with the exception of uh, Bell Edwards in Louisiana, who's not a governor but is running for governor, saying that they wouldn't want Syrians in their states. And so it's, uh, the number's 10 or 11 governors right now. You know, when we look at... Um using these things as people do uh, politically. I think it's it's just awful. Uh, but at the same time, and I'm not trying to be smug when I say this, when, you know, people are like, you know, Hillary Clinton condemned this, you know, such and such condemned this. It, does they think anybody but ISIS is actually going to stand up and cheer? You know what I mean? It's almost ridiculous <laughs> when they have over and over the tweets like, look who condemned this. You know, I think it would be more, it would be more interesting to read, look who didn't, because you're not going to find anybody out there. And if they feel that way, they're certainly not going to come out publicly to say so. Right, right. No, that's true. And and look, you look for the you look for the subtext to everything. You hear Carly Fiorina say, uh, "We must win and wage this fight, or we're waging win this fight against Islamic terrorism." Uh, that is her saying. Whatever's going on now is not winning it. I can do better, and these schools are not doing well enough. And so you 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 do read the subtext into these things, and there is a shared subtext on one side of the argument, uh, and and then on on the other, and. And so when you have all these voices, they're also trying not only to stand apart from the other party, but from themselves. John Kasich is a good example of that. His, his approach to tweeting, to praying, to giving a speech afterwards, that was very different than that of Ted Cruz, that of Lindsey Graham. Uh, Jeb uh, Bush uh, said, former Florida governor, um, when asked in an interview with radio host Hugh Hewitt, uh, who I've uh, actually debated, a quote, I'm not surprised this is a war being created by Islamic terrorists. It's not a law enforcement operation. And the mindset in our country at least needs to change to recognize it for what it is. This is an organized effort to destroy Western civilization, and we need to lead in this regard, uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, 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 and the reason I say uh, blah, blah, blah is everybody seems, especially on the right, and, and I ask this as a Fox News contributor all the time. Why won't they say Islamic or why won't they say terror? They really hung up on labels. And the reality is when you talk to terrorism experts or, or, or you talk to people who have dealt with gangs even, the way they recruit, the type of individual they recruit, and the type of person who would join them and what they desire are all the same. Whether it's the Crips and the Bloods or the Mafia, quite frankly – um, or ISIS, or the Nazis, it's about power, it's, 
it's about power. It's about control. Michael, I know you uh, switched lines so we could hear you better. Thank you. Uh, Michael, let me uh, reiterate what I was saying is um, I, I quoted a portion of what Jeb Bush said, and I think you heard that, or portion of that. And then yeah. I said, blah, blah, blah. And, and my point being that why is the right so hell-bent on the words used, the definitions, the phraseology, such as Islamic terrorism, when at the end of the day, quite frankly, ISIS is not really religious. Ask those that have been released from ISIS, like last April, the French hostages who were released, who said that two people there converted and wanted a Quran to read for comfort and to pray, and none of their captors had one. Uh, this, it, and, and what really bothers me is that all you have to do is Google how ISIS is recruiting these people. It's the same way the Crips and the Bloods and other gang members recruit. It's the same way the Nazis recruited. And it's the same type of people and for the same reason, which is power, domination, money, and, and feeding some you know perverse sense of ego when you put a gun in their hand and that's a recipe for obviously mass carnage so so you know why why you know it, it is it essential that we call them Islamic terrorists because I if you look at some of the people who have joined them or have been caught trying to join them they're not religious people they're losers who feel they'll have power and for women that they can do what they want with Right. Well, that's true. I mean, listen, you're talking about people who have come up through a political system and the political party system uh, where success for the Republican Party, to their credit often, uh, comes from the fact that they are able to define things simply, us and them. And uh, to create an us and a them in this type of a situation where one, where all of these people, all 18 of these people want to be president, uh, that has always proven effective. And in this case, you can label these people however you want, and there's a certain segment of the audience who's not going to read between the lines and look further into it and say, oh, Jeb Bush is saying this. Other people are saying that these are Islamic radicals, that, that Islam is an evil religion, and they will look no further and believe that. You see that through the success of the Trump campaign. I mean, he is saying things that are bombastic, oftentimes. You mean like you, consider, like you consider shutting down mosques to fight terrorism? Exactly, exactly. I mean, there you have it. That's and Jihadi John, if you look at Jihadi John and what um, you know, others who knew him said of him and his recruiting style, he didn't recruit in the mosques. He recruited around the mosques. Right. And, right. and I say that because, yeah, I say that because, you know, when it's sort of like, oh, well, they're making us have three ounces of fluid, you know, or less. So, you know, these people who want to use bombs on planes will just use, you know, three bottles of three. I mean, yeah, yeah there's always a way around it. Yeah, these are cults. These are violent cults, and they recruit in the same way that cults do. They recruit yeah. desperate people, young people, uh, ideologues, and uh, and and it's no different other than what they espouse and, and their means. It's no different than, than people in airports to a degree in, the, in, in terms of the dynamic of what they're trying to do. And But the way that, that American voters and the American public and the news-watching and news-listening public go about it is they hear it in a certain way, and they want to craft it as they're the bad guys, we're the good guys. We needed the Russians in the Cold War, we needed the, the Iranians during the Ayatollah and, and the hostage crisis, and here we are now with ISIL and al-Qaeda. You know, we don't hear stories such as the Muslim waiter who ran into bullets, a hail of bullets, and risked his lives to save others in Paris. You know, I mean, those stories are out there, but you don't hear many of them. Yeah, you don't. Well, a lot of people don't want to hear them, or they'll say, "Oh, that's just one person." Look, uh, you know that this this is a, this is a war. This is a war on us from a, a violent religion. 
uh, and and that's the way people digest it. And to their credit, the Republican candidates know this. Jeb Bush knows this. He knows his audience. Uh, he he might not know his audience well enough, looking at his poll numbers, but as a party, they know their audience. As as a as a group of uh, people running for the presidency on foreign policy and trying to take down the foreign policy record of of the current administration, they know exactly who they're playing to. And uh, when we look at what these people are saying, what bothers me, quite frankly, is I don't hear anybody with an effective strategy that is different, better, goes farther than what the president is actually doing in order to defeat this enemy as a part of an international community who is in search of peace for the future for our world. Yeah, which has been a problem, which is something that even Paul Ryan, upon ascending to the speakership, has said about his party, is we're so quick to criticize, but we're not quick enough to offer ideas. He wasn't talking specifically at that time about ISIS, but you could just, you could extrapolate. He, he, you know, that's exactly right. And that's even the president has said that. He's saying, listen, tell me something better. Give me some ideas. Work with me here. And that's not happening. It happened on health care, too. All they do is they stand in the well of the House and they say how bad Obamacare is. They haven't given uh, an opposing or better idea of, for how to insure the people that are insured or keep them insured. And, and it's consistent. And that, that is a big problem here is the, the lack of conversation. And I say that it can be blamed on the White House as well. Their, their engagement hasn't been terrific, uh, but also you know, they're, they're assailed from every side over the fact that they're, that they're just not doing well from people who don't have a better uh, option here. And ISIS is, is certainly one of the most difficult because of, of how elusive and how easily uh, or how in, uneasily defined they are. Um, you know, I asked somebody this on Friday, and I'm going to ask you, who politically, and it's a terrible uh, thing, I know, but it's a reality, who fared best as a result of these horrific attacks on Friday out of the politicians. I say that because the person I asked Friday said Hillary Clinton because it's clear she stands head and shoulders above the rest with regard to foreign policy experience and dealing with organizations such as ISIS. Um, but then some others would say Republicans are one of the Republicans especially because fear seems to win with the GOP. Well, you know, I guess uh, the, you took both of my answers just now. I, I think, <laughs> I think, I think Hillary Clinton did in, in the scope of the debate. It's it's very difficult for anybody to say that they have more experience, either Martin O'Malley or Bernie Sanders. But by the same token, it was a little bit of a slippery slope for her because she, you know, if there are people that think that that ISIS is a creation of the Iraq War, and that's a war that she supported. So there is there's a reason to say that it, it hurts her because this is you know the the whoever it is that comes home to roost exactly. uh, coming home to roost and yeah. and and then you know then Ted Cruz and that line of strident uh, isolationism and right. anti-immigrant stance uh, within his party politics. Def- definitely works well for him and then Michael will have you out we're out of time we'll have you on again soon follow Michael on Twitter at Michael Schur follow America Al Jazeera AJAM <laughs> 